You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Security trends during the pandemic include shifts in underworld markets and some enduring changes in the way organizations approach cybersecurity. Discount phones come preloaded with adware and fleeceware. TikTok files its lawsuit. Ben Yellen on the Massachusetts Attorney General creating a data privacy office. Our guest is Nitsan Miran from Barracuda Networks on how brick-and-mortar shops have accelerated their shift online. And spoofing a Bitcoin exchange to spread malware. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, August 25th, 2020. It's probably worth taking stock of how the pandemic has been affecting cybersecurity since several organizations have released studies of trends they've been seeing and that they're now prepared to project into the mid-future. First of all, COVID-19 has had an effect on the underworld and its markets themselves. Stolen credentials had been dropping in price before the pandemic hit, showing a long-term trend of commodification. Not only was the market flooded, but aggressive law enforcement had made the merchandise harder to move, producing a crash in prices. But that's changed over the last few months. Tech News World says the pandemic has reversed an underworld trend, driving stolen credential prices up. Credentials for delivery services and physical fitness brands are particularly valuable. A compromised Instacart account goes for an average of $22. Peloton credentials sell for $18, Postmates for $15, and Amazon for $14.5 U.S. bucks. People want to stay at home, and they'd like to stay fit. Some of the increased interest in these credentials derives from new users of these services whom criminals find susceptible to fraud, and their stolen credentials are fresh. On the side of the defense, Microsoft thinks it sees five enduring trends for the security industry. According to a summary in Tech Republic, Redmond calls the first of these digital empathy, that is, the importance of designing a user experience for remote work, that suits the user's needs and facilitates safe and security-conscious behavior on the part of employees working from home. Second, remote work has made the ability to handle an influx of potentially unsecured devices a priority. 
Microsoft's study suggests that 94% of the companies surveyed were in the process of deploying zero-trust capabilities. Third, more data sets make for better intelligence. Phishing has risen, and organizations are finding that ability to collect and analyze a diverse range of data enables them to recognize and block threats before they reach users. Fourth, cyber resilience is now perceived as fundamental to business operations. And fifth, the cloud has come to be seen as a business imperative. It not only serves efficiencies, but more importantly, it's come to be regarded as a crucial cybersecurity investment. So how will things change as the pandemic eases or recedes into the background? It's early to say, but a study by TransUnion concludes that as businesses reopen their physical locations, scamming attempts against organizations have fallen off from their pandemic highs. But COVID-19-themed fraud directed against consumers has picked up some of that slack. An investigation by SecureD and BuzzFeed concludes that discount Chinese phones sold for the most part in underdeveloped markets arrive in consumers' hands with adware and fleeceware pre-installed. Most of the users affected have been located in Africa. The phones most affected are Techno W2s, an inexpensive device that goes for about $30 in Johannesburg. The Techno W2 is produced by Shenzhen-based Transgen, which since entering the market in 2014 has become Africa's leading seller of handsets. As expected, TikTok has sued the U.S. government over the executive order that found the company a security threat. The Washington Post reports that TikTok says the government ban is not rooted in bona fide national security concerns. In its explanation of the suit, the company cites the steps it had already taken to secure user data, and it alleges that the executive order constitutes a violation of due process. And finally, Information Security reports the conclusions of researchers at the firm Abnormal Security that criminals are impersonating BTC Era, a widely used Bitcoin trading platform. Victims are fished with encouragement to send money to what they're told will be an investment. As an investment scam, it's a little more plausible than the conventional advance fee scams, proverbially run by those purporting to be the bereaved widows of Nigerian princes, who've been moved to ask you to deposit a bit of cash, throwing your bread upon the waters, as it were, with the prospect of a big, big payout. This one is, as we've noted, marginally more convincing, especially given the feeding frenzy of pink-sheet altcoin speculation. It's more convincing because the criminals use the entirely legitimate and widely used email marketing provider Constant Contact to distribute their phishing emails. This also makes it easier for them to reach a big contact list without having to craft and spoof persuasive sender email accounts. And the goal seems to be installation of malware as opposed to the direct theft of the old-fashioned advanced fee scam. The crooks ask for a minimum deposit of $250, which you can ride to wealth. The phishing message includes a link helpfully placed so the investor can follow it and create an account. After a meander through multiple redirections, the investor winds up on a landing page that requests permission to show notifications. Why not, figures the investor, who's now ready to get speculating. When the investor clicks allow, that enables adware to run on the now-infected machine. The adware monitors user behavior and enables the criminals to spam from the victim's machine. So, speculate if you must, but speculate with caution. 
Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. There's no question that online merchants like Amazon and Shopify have had an advantage over traditional brick-and-mortar shops when the pandemic shutdown hit. In order to survive, many of those brick-and-mortar shops have accelerated their shift to online sales. Nitsan Miran is vice president of product management application security services at Barracuda Networks, and he shares his insights on securing that transition. So what I think I've been seeing is this, this huge change that specifically comes from businesses that were not really set up to do online services before. Uh, retail is probably the biggest service, but you know there are many others, whether it's uh, things real estate, uh, car buying, many other professions where in-person was really a big part of what they do. And uh, with the pandemic starting, they found themselves in a position where it's either innovate or die. And what I've seen from the businesses I've spoken to is there has been a huge amount of innovation in a very short amount of time. People that never thought that within you know two, three weeks they could launch a new app and uh, change their business model entirely, but they've been doing it. And, and there have been amazing innovations like you know video tours for real estate or video tours of, of cars that you want to buy uh, or a contactless delivery of cars even, uh, mm-hmm. locker pickup, curbside pickup, and all these things that really, uh, they may have been there before, but not as ubiquitous as they are now. You know, we're we're a couple months into this now, and and as organizations look back at at how they did, what are some of the lessons that they're learning? The number one lesson is really secure before you deploy. Uh, Launching even for a day, even for uh, a week, even just the temporary solution. Uh, Cyber criminals are very adept at finding new things and finding updated things and finding weaknesses in them. And if you deploy, say, an open source version of Magento, which is an e-commerce platform, uh, and you deploy a version that has vulnerabilities, you can expect attackers to find those vulnerabilities within 24 hours. Hmm. 
What are your recommendations for organizations now at this stage of the game? Should they have uh, other people come in to take an outside look at what they've done? Or what sort of things should they do to make sure that they're where they need to be? You know, a lot of vendors, a lot of security vendors offer free assessments. And these are automated tools where you uh, log in and you give them some information about your environment and they scan it and they give you kind of the, the attacker's view, right? Here's what an attacker would have found in your environment. And it's, it's almost always a free service, which is obviously a selling point for the rest of the products that you can buy, but it gives you a really good idea of where you are. And maybe you're in a good spot, maybe you're in a bad spot, and it'll come with specific recommendations for how to fix these problems. Where do you suppose we're going to be when we get on the other side of this? Do you, do you think this is going to have a, a big impact on how many organizations look at doing business from, from a broader view? I really do. And, and what I've been hearing from a lot of businesses is as soon as they made that shift to online, they found out that customers actually prefer it. Hey, I would love to view a new car from the comfort of my own home using my phone rather than having to drive all the way to a dealership or to a private party. And honestly, as a customer, I would love to continue doing that even when the pandemic is over. And I think a lot of businesses are realizing that this, this kind of expedited digital transformation that they're going through is actually here to stay. It's not just a temporary stopgap measure. It's actually something that uh, they're going to have to keep online. That's Nitsan Miran from Barracuda Networks. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And joining me once again is Ben Yellen. He is from the University of Maryland Center for Health and Homeland Security and also my co-host over on the Caveat podcast. Ben, great to have you back. Good to be with you again, Dave. Uh, interesting article came by. This is from uh, Wall Street Journal Pro in their cybersecurity section, uh, written by David Uberti. Um, and this is about uh, the Massachusetts Attorney General creating a unit to police data privacy and security abuses. It's an interesting development here, Ben. Yeah, so a number of states have taken this step, and Massachusetts is the latest to do so. The attorney general appointed an assistant attorney general to lead this department. It's a small group of states that have established these uh, data privacy offices, but it is a, a growing number of states. Um, and I think it's certainly uh, in reaction to a need. I mean, we've had high-profile data breaches, and states want to be at the forefront of protecting their consumers. Um, and so I, I think it's certainly a commendable effort on behalf of the state of Massachusetts. What sort of things are they going to be focusing on here? I just think it's a general focus uh, for consumers on protecting their data privacy, privacy both from uh, breaches and from malicious actors. 
uh, and looking at deceptive practices that result in the undue collection of consumer data. So you have instances where uh, a company might be misleading a consumer about what data is being collected. This is the type of office that would investigate and potentially levy fines or file lawsuits against one of these companies. So it's kind of like any consumer watchdog organization housed within uh, a state government where um, they're going to be proactive uh, and look at potential abuses of consumer privacy and and, uh, try and take legal action against it. Hmm. Now, have you been seeing any any sort of pattern when it comes to states establishing these offices? Are, are we seeing these more in blue states or red states, or has it been a pretty even mix throughout? So it tends to be more blue states. You know, they they generally have more active governments uh, and are more eager, shall we say, to enact regulations. But it's hmm. not solely Democratic states. Your prototypical uh, purple state, Florida. Um, started a a similar organization. They built a a dedicated privacy and security enforcement team housed within the Consumer Protection Division of the AG's office, the Attorney General's office, in uh, the state of Florida. And, you know, they were able to have a robust department, three attorneys dedicated full-time to data privacy. I mean, I think part of it is if you were to just have your standard consumer protection agency or sub-agency of an attorney general's office, it would be difficult to handle the influx of reports that come into these offices about data breaches and privacy breaches. So I think having a dedicated office is something that's going to make a huge difference. Now, as it is uh, always in these situations, it's going to come down to uh, our sufficient resources being allocated to these apartments. Uh, departments. I think they say in Massachusetts it's going to be two attorneys to start. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, so that's relatively limited. Uh, And, you know, I think when uh, Attorney General Healy wanted to start up this uh, division, she probably didn't realize that we'd be entering a global recession where, uh, you know, state and local revenues are going to be drying up and it's not going to be easy to expand state governments. Um, So I think that's going to be the main constraint here in um, trying to develop an, an effective agency. What about within the states themselves? In other words, do these are these folks are sort of functioning as consumer advocates, as consumer watchdogs, or are they, is it expected that they would be within state government to be reaching out to other departments? Of the, you know, you and I have had, talked about stories, for example, where like DMVs are sharing lots of information about people. You know, would these folks be advocating for consumers within the state government itself? Absolutely. I mean, I think that's fully uh, within their purview. Now, there are some uh, state government organizations that are more devoted to internal audits of government agencies. And, you know, so there might be some cross-jurisdictional efforts there. But I think if you're going to have a data privacy effort, you have to realize that Data breaches happen uh, and abuses of data privacy happen at bo- in both the public and private sectors. So you can't have an effective office uh, if you're not solely focused on one or the other. Um, mm-hmm. Another thing I thought uh, is interesting here is a lot of states want to sue some of the big companies where there have been, there have been these high-profile data breaches like Equifax. And if you have an office like this that you've set up, you're really on the front lines in terms of enforcement and regulations. You're going to be best situated to join one of those lawsuits, um, to you know, to be one of the attorneys general who enters into 
that type of lawsuit. And that's going to be very beneficial for your state's consumers, particularly if there's some sort of large uh, settlement, um, Mm. as we've seen in a number of these data breaches. So that's kind of the tangible benefit I would see from the consumer's perspective if you live in one of these states. Um, Because as an individual consumer, you don't have much bargaining power. You know, you or I... Uh, it's going to be tough for us to go one-on-one with Google um, mm-hmm, on a data mm-hmm. bri- privacy lawsuit. Um, but if your state has a dedicated team focusing on data breaches and uh, potential privacy invasions, then it's going to be much easier to develop a cause of action. Right. And they're going to even just demand a response from from large tech organizations. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, uh, interesting stuff. Ben Yellen, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Dave. The Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time, keep you informed, and it stays crunchy even in milk. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.